You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies in Recovery members. And now, coming up for air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's episode, Coming Up for Air. I am Annie Highwater, author of the book Unhooked, and I have my co-host and friend, Lori McDougall. Hi, Annie. How are you doing? I am good. And this week's topic is interesting. This podcast we are calling Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. And it is in dealing with the subject of lying, which is so broad, we've just had to narrow it down to not go on for six hours. Because everybody has lied and been lied to. And there's different types and levels and reactions. And it's just a big thing to take a bite out of. Um, So I just wanted to get started. Actually, I looked up the phrase liar, liar, pants on fire. And I came across a lot of explanations for it. The origin of the phrase can actually not be found. It can't be specified. It's usually attributed to, without a lot of evidence, to an over 200 year old poem, apparently written by William Blake, sorry. But that ironically is suspected of being a lie. So (laughs) that's just interesting to me that that's right where we start with a falsehood. I, I wonder if um, if someone just said that to him because they thought his writing was a lie. Like, where does the pants on fire come from? That's, know, you know. Well, one thing I found out is that in the research, this is kind of funny, in the Bugs Bunny cartoons, they always have the devil character with fire surrounding him. And the original, um, if you study anything in scripture, and a lot of people took historical things from the Bible, it calls the devil the father of lies. He's actually the inventor of lies. So I, I, they attributed the fire part of it to being kind of like going to hell with gasoline drawers. Interesting. It Interesting. Is. <laughs> Getting right into it, there are lots of types of lies. The two I I researched, and you can add whatever you want or experiences, is the two types of white lying are white lies and strategic. The little white lies, and then there are um, strategic lies, which can be lies of protection or personal gain. There, you know, the the strategic lies would be typically a defense mechanism um, when you're caught off guard and backed onto your heels, maybe ambushed, and you quickly come up with an answer that protects you or, you know, personal gain. And then the little white lies, do I look like I've gained weight? No, you look great. You know, those types of lies, they seem to um, flow in level of importance and how personal and somewhat manipulative they are, so to speak. Levels of dishonesty. And I, I personally believe that all lies are really based on protection. I, 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 yeah, I think um, it's either protecting yourself from something or protecting someone else from their, uh, from their feelings as well. And right? taking it even a little bit deeper, when you're somebody who is strategically lying for personal gain, there is some self-protection and fear in that too, because you are chasing after something and you believe the only way you can accomplish that is by deceiving and manipulating. And you are lying to yourself as much as 
everyone involved. Right. Quick question. What are your thoughts on, and, and I happen to feel that this is, this is lying, but um, what about omission of truth? You know, that's really funny. My, um, my ex-husband always said that that was my way of lying, if I would evade a subject. And I probably did. I wouldn't come out and outright deny something or ever make something up, but I would keep things from him out of fear of what the fallout would be. So yeah, I guess that is as well. But I was in a situation and I was young and I felt like I had no choice. I right, you right. Just have to go through the process of getting healthier. And I think a lot of it boils down to motive. Are you motivated by fear or are you motivated to manipulate somebody and kind of <laughs> trick them and get something? Yeah, agreed. And, and I feel omission of the truth is at the very least, I, I, I do feel that it is lying, but at the very least, I think it's just dishonest. Yeah. Right. You're being dishonest. And probably afraid. There's usually fear behind it when you're right. omitting stuff. Right. Usually if you're, you know, a normal, good hearted person and you're not out to step on people and you walk into these kinds of behaviors, it's usually a lot more innocent than if you're just kind of coming up with schemes. Right. So I came up with some categories. Um, I, you know, I, first I like to look into myself and I know you're, you'd like to self-examine and be accountable to yourself as well. So when we look into behavior, I think we should always examine ourselves. So the first um, subject I came up with is when we've lied. And I have a, an example that kind of ties into motive. And I, I believe you do as well. So if you want to take this one first, that'd be good. Yep, sure. Um, I, I've told you this before. And I guess now I'm going to kind of let it out of the bag in front of all of our, um, our listeners. But I was a huge liar when I was young and when I was in high school. Um, my household rules were too stringent, were too difficult to follow. Uh, and I, I just to give you an example, I had to be home from school within a certain time frame. And I was not allowed to change my clothes. I went to a Catholic school. I had to wear a Catholic uniform. I had the little red plaid skirt with the pleats and the, and the white button-up blouse. It actually buttoned in the back. Uh, I also had the, I had the blazer. And I was not allowed. I had to take, in order for me to get home from school, I had to take one public bus downtown. Then I had to get a transfer bus and take that bus all the way into my town. Then I had to walk about a mile and a half or so to get to my house. And I'm sorry, but in New England weather, which is where I'm from, in New England weather in February, taking two buses and then having to have to walk a mile and a half in a skirt and not being allowed to change my clothes into something warmer, I was absolutely freezing. And I had to, I had to make it to my house in a particular amount of time. And if I didn't make it in that time, I was then... Uh, grounded for quite yeah. a period of time. And so um, I learned to do a few things. I learned to like change my clothes and then I learned to run. I would literally run to, towards my house. I'd get really close and then I'd find a spot and change back into my uniform so that I could go into the house. Um, that's just an example of that. Right. You know, I had extremely stringent guidelines and rules that I had to follow. So that's almost self-protection. That would be self-protection. It, it, really, it really was. It really was self-protection. Um, and my mother has even said... Since that time, she said, uh, she, I heard her make the statement, we make our kids lie. And she went on to explain that she felt that at that time that she did make the rules so 
so difficult to follow. Uh, and it was so hard on us that we, that she kind of backed me up against a wall to where I had to lie. Um, I didn't, I, I, I don't want to say I had to lie because I guess I really never really had well, to lie. You, the fear makes you believe you do. Yeah, exactly. And I really did. I felt like I was a rat trapped, right? I felt like I was trapped and, um, and I also knew that I could try and stay within the guidelines, but I, but I could never do it all of the time. There was no way I could maintain that. And I learned that if, if I lied, there was a chance that I might be able to get away with it. And then right? it becomes a habit. Right. Well, and, and if I did, if the, the thing was, was let, let's say I don't get away with it. Well, I'm going to get in trouble. Right. So, so I might as well go ahead and try yeah. and hope that I don't get caught lying because really ultimately I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. Yeah. Right. That, that was the situation. Right. And, um, even, even, uh, back then, uh, I knew I was wrong in lying because I remember being caught by my mother lying. And I remember, just being really distraught with myself and feeling inside that, oh God, I can't believe I lied. This is awful. And I used to actually write letters to God, begging him and asking him to please help me with the lying and to help me to stop lying. I don't think we're naturally, you know, created to want to or feel good about it. I don't think, I think we, there's something inside us that feels until you get deep into the habit of it and you become, your conscience kind of becomes seared and hardened, I think you have a sick, icky feeling about it when you're in that habit or walking in that lie. And if, I don't know about you, but you tell a lie, every time you run into that person or something, something related to the subject comes up, that lie is chasing your mind. That lie is what comes to mind. If somebody calls your name, hey, can you come down here and talk to me for a minute? That lie is the first thing that's in front of your face. Yeah, right. Your pulse just hammer away. You think that's it. Because we are not naturally built to feel good when we lie and manipulate. We're just not. You have to do something to kind of harden yourself against it if you're living habitually in a lying pattern because it doesn't begin – you don't start out feeling good doing it. Right. And And – I mean, back then, um, also, you know, my parents were telling me, just don't lie. Right. Just don't tell us a lie. Just don't lie. Unfortunately, the rules and the way I was treated were so stringent that actually that wasn't necessarily true, right? I, I could tell the truth and I was still going to get into major trouble. At least in my mind, I was. So, so you know, although I had this awful feeling on the inside and this conflict on the inside that I didn't want to lie, I really felt like I had to. And, and I, I guess I don't think it, it really is a part of me because eventually, of course, I move out of my house and I remember feeling very free, feeling very released that I wasn't stuck in this very um, authoritarian and, and stringent household and it freed me enough that I stopped lying, that I wasn't lying. So that's how I knew that, oh, I'm really, I really am not a liar. I'm not a pathological liar, wow. right? I, I, I stopped lying. I didn't have a need anymore. Well, I want to relate it because I have a question a counselor asked me about lying that I think will apply 
so perfectly to your description of why you did it. Um, I want to relate it. I, I had kind of the same experience where I went through a phase of lying myself. Um, and I can trace it back a little bit further just really quick. Um, I, one of my earliest memories is um, I'm one of six kids and I got really mad at one of my brothers. He's the one I tended to kind of butt heads with more than anyone. And I took his birthday money and hid it under the couch. And are you able to hear me? Okay. And I, I hid it under the couch. Anyway, we had one of our family meetings where everybody was accusing and finger pointing. There seemed to be a competition for who could get who into trouble. I was little and the youngest and they found the money and I did intentionally do that. A couple of years later, another brother had money come up missing. So I knew what would happen and that there'd be a big fight and somebody probably gets spanked. So I went ahead and raised my hand and said, I took it. And immediately they all surrounded me in a circle and said, of course you would. Of course you would be jealous. Of course you would steal. Are you just trying to suck up and brown nose by admitting it? Kind of like, well, I mean, it was really a terrifying situation. And so that said, um, he ended up finding the money that he had misplaced and forgot about. <laughs> so I didn't even benefit myself with that lie. Years later, I went into this summer camp I went to every year and there were some new kids there and I made up this big lie for the whole two weeks that I was some rich girl. And we were... <laughs> from poverty. I mean, my mom was going to pick me up in a car with the loudest muffler that backfired like a shotgun. You know, we just, we really had nothing, but I went with it and I added anything I knew about having money to the story. My earrings were made of jade. We had a driver. It was so far-fetched. And these kids would gather around and say, well, tell us about this. And do you have a butler? I mean, so with the camp, you know, I went on and on. I think I took um, details from the TV show, Richie Rich or the toy or something from, oh, that, that's years ago and made up all of these stories. And then of course, you know, the truth in, ends up coming out. And you know, years later, I'd gone into therapy and things that had happened, I'd try to really raise my son to be functional and honest. And that really opened my eyes to not having unethical patterns in my life or craziness. And I got real serious about it. And I, I told a counselor, one of my, you know, she would ask me what my fears were. One of my biggest fears was being ganged up on being surrounded, being outcasted, being surrounded and afraid. And I told her about those early lying stories. And I would tell her about things that were current in my life. And it always seemed to pertain to feeling outcasted or being afraid of that type of ridicule and being powerless against a group and things like that. And she said, do you think that those early attacks are what you're always defending against? I would is that not a deep question well I mean, yeah my brain exploded because anytime I've been put on my heels and did, did a quick easy way out or anytime I've gone gushing in the pain of something my mind immediately goes to the fear of those early attacks of that self-protection and and you know my response wasn't always to lie because I, I then went through the karma of having a lot of lies told to me that affected my life and I know the pain of that and I don't like dishonesty on any level I'll tell you that you don't look good in an outfit just to avoid the dishonesty I think that we kind of swing in the opposite direction but we are defending against some early attacks sometimes when new things can happen. Oh yeah, I think so. And and you know what else? I, I think that um, creating, when you live in so much strife and, and so much difficulty and you know, you have an entire family, like you said, surrounding you, I, I can't imagine what that's like and, and kind of attacking you. And um, uh, I can imagine creating a fantasy world yeah. Right where you're safe, yeah. 
And that makes sense to me. And, and if I had something to look up to or that made me on your same level, I wouldn't be outcasted. Then I would right. never run that risk again of being shunned and rejected and outcasted. Ironically, that pattern repeated over and over in my life until it got itself healed. And thank right. goodness, because it was a major injury. And I didn't return to lying to do it. I healed it with truth and facing truth. And that typically is how you have to do it. And I read this quote that talked about how lies always catch up with you. They don't protect you. They really don't. Right. You think they do. They don't. They don't, they don't serve a purpose. You're not going to benefit for long because it's going to come around full circle. One of my favorite quotes is, when you tell the truth, it's in the past, but a lie becomes a part of your future. Something's going to swing right back around. You're going to deal with it again. But you tell the truth and get it over with. It's part of the past and you can move on. Before we go on, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Allies in Recovery. Since 2002, Allies has been helping families like yours and like mine cope with the substance use of a loved one. Join Allies in Recovery today and you'll have access to a wealth of information, strategies, and community to help you navigate the minefield of addiction. That's alliesinrecovery.net. Now back to the show. So let me ask you this then, um, because I still grapple with this. I still grapple with the idea of, and I call it absolute truths. And you, you already kind of alluded to it saying that, you know, you'll tell someone if they don't look good in, a, in an outfit. Um, I try not to, but that was just the point I was trying to right. make. I'll tell an ugly truth or swallow one just because I can't stand, you don't want, I don't want dishonesty and deception anywhere near my life. But right. I think you can be extreme on that level too. But when you come from a lot of it, somebody sent me this Latin phrase the other day, and I pro and I love this. I probably can't say it in Latin as well as I can in English. It's sidious veneer malum quam reverter, I believe it is, and it means it translates to say, evil arrives faster than it departs. Right. People can show up in one lie, but you got a long time to get rid of that poison. Um, moving from that to when we're lied to. Yeah. Um, it tends to feel more evil when it's done, quote, to us. It feels personal and intentional. It feels insulting and it can burn you alive. It, that, here comes that fire again. Lying can, especially when you're like, oh my goodness, I believed you this whole time or I was honest with you or maybe you had, they didn't have a reason to lie. It would have been easier to tell the truth. Whatever the case may be, it has such a, until you're kind of trained to understand and to protect yourself, trust yourself. You don't have to put full trust in someone else. I think you take it so personal, especially the first couple of times, maybe a liar, um, a lying pattern is exposed. It feels like there's so much heat on that. There's just so much heat on that. I agree. Um, I think there's ways we can cope and protect and manage and look at it without being devastated. Right. And, and I think that, I think there's a couple of things when it comes to SUD, substance use disorder, yeah. um, and lying. And I, I think that SUD in particular makes us do things that we, that we normally wouldn't do. That right? is what I say, like a fever to a flu, lying is just going to happen. It's, Whether they're protecting you from knowing the scary truth or they're protecting themselves because they need to get what they need. Right. It's just going to happen. But also, I think when they do lie to us, I think this, this piece of it for us, for the, uh, family members, for parents, for um, spouses, for even for children, lying causes us to do some things that we normally wouldn't do when we're being lied to, 
right? This is what happened to me when I started to, uh, or when my son started lying to me and I kind of suspected that he was lying to me, this is when I went into super detective mode. This is when I started looking up his phone calls on the phone bill and trying to find the phone numbers and trying to, you know, look through, I, I was starting to invade his privacy and go into his bedroom and look at all of his stuff and follow him around town or try and find where he was, try and find who his drug um, You become a forensics expert. You yeah, really do. Exactly. Somebody had sent me a quote once in the middle of that that said, there is no victory that comes from squeezing the truth out of someone's lies. Right. And, because and really, I, what it, what, other than maybe you found out certain information here and there, once you find out everything you need to know, it's better if information comes to you because after you knew what you needed to know and that first initial information was available, what good did that do even you? It didn't do you. And it, I'm sure it, made, it makes you crazy. Right. Right. And it wasn't until I started to try and understand the lying yeah. that, and actually it ended up relieving a lot of pressure for me, but um, why, do, why do people that are suffering with SUD, why do they lie so much? And I went and looked this up and uh, came up with some really great answers. Think, it's not anything I didn't already know, probably not anything that our listeners don't already know. But sometimes but it's good to hear it out loud. It is, it is. So um, what I came up with was it's to preserve their addiction uh, it's avoid facing reality, which is so true, which is uh, uh, also avoiding confrontation, which I find uh, uh, that to be interesting. I think that it's to avoid very specific confrontation, right? Confrontation that, um, that maybe that they're using, that um, maybe they're going to go and use, but still it doesn't avoid all confrontation because you because when you lie, um, you end up in a confrontation about the lying. Like that quote, it, it becomes a part of your future. It doesn't right. just go away. A lie grows and returns and knocks on your door and it's a monster when it does. Right. Um, also for denial, right? They'll yeah. lie for denial. But the biggest one of all, the, the biggest reason why someone with SUD lies, I think, which is it's just huge, and that is shame. Yeah, I right? agree. They're, they're, they're ashamed of what they're doing, they're ashamed, and they don't want you to know how they feel about themselves and, and who they think they are. Right. They don't. Right. That is the truth. And, um, you know, it's, it's not like you want to give them a pass. It's not. But, you know, almost like making it easier on your husband to ask questions that are going to benefit everybody. If you know somebody's lying, Trying to force the issue is just a guaranteed setup for an aggravation installment plan. It just well, is. And the thing that I agree with you on that. And, and the thing about it is, is that um, being a super detective, I found when I was a super detective anyway, that I was trying to do two things. I, one, I was trying to prove to my son that he was lying to me. Yeah. Right. I was trying. And, and I'm sure as our listeners know, I'm sure as you know, anytime I confronted him and I had all this evidence and I could say to him, you're lying. There was another way for him to lie to me a little bit more and manipulate his way out of it. 
And then the other person that I'm trying to convince that the lying is going on to is myself. I was always trying to prove, I know he's lying. I know he's lying. I know he's lying. And so I had to have all this evidence that he's lying. And I wasn't paying attention to my own um, inner suspicions that if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Right. Right. So, you know, my mom's got SUD, just years of prescription and that's all in my book or whatever. And I don't say this to be insulting, but it's just the truth. And if I have cycles of reception of deception and lying, come back through, it's through her. And I had one recently where she was so dishonest about something she was blatantly doing that was damaging. So I recorded it. And when I did, I sent it an email to several family members and just said, I just want to prove that she will look right at you and give you a false answer. And here's the proof of it. And their responses were, you know, shock and oh my goodness, even though things have come out to expose truth. But then it was kind of like, well, you had to handle this kind of harsh and, you know, it served me no good. They're like, right. you proved it because you know what I was doing? I was defending against that original attack. I wanted to show every single person that could possibly not believe me or gang up on me that original def- attack. I, ne- I was going back to that original attack and it was serving nothing. It was just re-damaging me. Because, right. you know, the truth is going to come out. And at some point, you're not going to, ex- I'm not looking to expose somebody or ruin somebody. And when I'm trying to do that, my, I'm in the wrong. If I'm trying to expose or ruin, you know, a liar it, without just letting the truth come out to a point, m- my motives kind of kick into high gear where I'm doing it hard. I'm in the wrong. I just am. It's not about right. exposing and ruining somebody. It's about peace and health. And if this pattern is repeating, I need to handle it as healthy as possible and protect myself. I don't need to turn the crowd against the person who's in the wrong. Right. Well, and also, if you think about it, it makes sense that I, I bet you if you did that um, did that recording and then you let your mother listen to it, I will bet, I, I will bet uh, uh, million dollars that your mother would then start lying. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, as a way to justify because that's her only coping coping mechanism. And she doesn't even really realize she's lying. She's just coping. And I played it. I I asked her, hey, have you said these things or talked to any of these people about, you know, our normal issues we don't disagree on? No. So I played the recording and let her hear, well, what's that? And then it was like, she instantly was mad and backpedaling and justifying and blaming and then lying. So I, what am, what good am I getting for either of us really? Right. Right. If it walks like a duck and I know it's been a duck my whole life, I hope for the best and maybe it'll turn into an eagle one day, but I'm going to live like it's a duck and protect me and we move onward. Exactly. And, and I think, um, kind of, um, moving on a little bit and, and moving into this, this is a good lead into, to like our own internal lies. Yeah. I believe that when I was doing my super detective work on my son, when I was, you know, running around like a crazy woman trying to prove to him and prove to me, it allowed me to stay in denial. It allowed me. If there was a chance. Yes. You could find a loophole that the truth was not the truth. You wouldn't have to face it. Oh, that's because, right. Exactly. Because if I, if he can prove it to me that this stuff isn't true, then, oh boy, I can stay in denial. And also Um, Another problem I found uh, was that 
it prolonged because he was able to maneuver and manipulate around and I was never able to fully honestly prove that he was lying it justified being dishonest in other words it justified my making up excuses to other people because oh well no he says this and uh, well no he said it actually happened this way so that allows me it kind of frees me up a little bit to defend him when maybe and and actually that's that's not good right that's, no, that just shows you're completely exposing how our thinking becomes sick with with them we are sick with them and sometimes we go pat they get you know they're in their pattern we go way off the deep end and become even sicker than they are at theirs right and i'm prolonging his use right i mean that's in some ways you know that's uh uh me enabling him right to continue to use to continue to lie to me to continue to manipulate me right that's really me enabling the disease yeah yeah that's really exposes the sickness i i had i wrestled my internal lies that i wrestled with were um well this must just be our lot in life we must deserve it i must have done something to deserve it it must just be this bad because this is the kind of life i'm supposed to have and if i nurse that i'll go to bed or the hopelessness and that you know this is what people i think sometimes get into deep depression because you believe hard circumstances cannot work out that they're permanent that we're weak if we reach out for support or for someone to tell hey i need help or i at least need an ear or some advice or that the person won't care or sometimes you think if I reach out, they won't care about me. Maybe they'll reject me once they know what I really am or what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Those are like some of the deep internal lies that I think we wrestle with. At least I mm -hmm. personally have wrestled with those things. Okay, so. How do we deal? How do we deal? My suggestion is to be honest first with ourselves. Face things head on. Remain accountable. Be self-examining. Walk in integrity. These are all basics and that remember you don't have to defend against every attack and I, for me the internal stuff and self-examining is that the truth is always what works the truth is always going to be what works and that's a quote from William James actually but it's it, you can apply it to anything the truth is just what works well okay so how do I deal <laughs> well right? first thing I do and we've talked about this in the past is I don't take it personal anymore I don't take it personal. Yeah. It's it to me it's a part of the disease of substance use disorder and uh I don't let it I try not to take it personal because he's not lying he's not lying because he wants to hurt me he's lying to protect himself. He right? is and I think another thing going on with that denial thing piece that you said if you're just be open to false things being possible even if we don't want them to be. Being right. open to it being possible to, to you know, that, that is helpful because I've always told people that I like to approach truth, like jumping into a pool. I don't want to just stick my foot in and get used to it. If there's a hard truth, that's even possible. I want to be able to jump in and, and find out if it's actual. Right. And well, for me, I kind of, I kind of, um, I go on the assumption that he's going to lie to me and I usually know, you know, what, pieces of any discussion I have with him are going to be a lie because I know those are things he doesn't want me to know. So I make my decisions and not so much now, but in the past, 
I would make my decisions based on the fact that I, I'm going to assume that he's going to lie to me. And when I did that, um, it really brought this sense of peace and calm to me, right? Because I didn't have to do the detective work anymore. Right. I already knew. I knew. I don't need to make the phone calls and do all of that stuff. And so in that moment, once I realized, oh, he's just going to lie to me. So I'm just not going to believe what he says. I'm just going to, and I'm going to set up my boundaries. I'm going to, you know, protect myself and uh, I'm going to do what I have to do to keep myself safe. And I'm just going to assume that he's not telling me at least the very least, he's not telling me the whole truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also I, um, also if I'm making a mistake, if he is telling me the truth, I can always go back later and say, oh, geez, I'm sorry. You were telling me the truth. And, yeah. and he'll just have to live with that. You know, that goes, I was going to say, in, in those moments when, because it's, it's just going to happen where it concerns certain family members of mine, um, unfortunately. All I can do is take care of the volatile emotions it causes instead of trying to force that truth. You know, because there are some people that when they are affected by substance use disorder, addiction, all of that, they will veer in and out of the need to lie. But then there are just patterns with some people that they're just going to do it lifelong. So all I can do is tend to the volatile emotions that it causes and tend to the damage. And, you know, I just had a recent cycle of it. I told you that, you know, a family deception got exposed like it typically does and just my, um, involving my mom. So instead of doing the forensics and the recording and then fighting that crowd to prove the truth again, because that's been, that's my pattern. That's my pattern of response is to fight the crowd and prove. I just took a weekend and got quiet and tried some new things and tried some new exercises in yoga. And I tended to myself and I let that pass. And that sure was better at handling it for me because before those burning emotions would come and then I'm, tr I'm also fighting with it and trying to prove it and explain it and pull the, everything out and that goes nowhere. So I just, right. I think sometimes when you've been lied to and it's a pattern, tend to, you know, do what you can to be safe and to, to make yourself not a victim, but you have to tend to yourself. Right. right. And I wanted to say one more thing as far as um, related to fire, because liar, liar, pants on fire. I heard something so interesting, um, and I think it was a podcast a couple of weeks ago, that related to fire, sequoia trees, you know, I love, I think nature is so wise and it always points, a, it always paints a great picture for our lives. Sequoia trees are the strongest, most long-lasting trees there are. The, the longest living sequoia tree is actually 3,500 years old, and they are the strongest. Can you guess why they're the strongest? Um, why are they this? Well, I happen to have visited a sequoia park recently. Really? That's so I have, a, I have a funny suspicion. I think I know what you're going to say because I think I saw it in action. So I'm going to let you say it because um, forest fires are yes. what give them their endurance going through the fires. Um, yeah. They happen every five to 15 years, kind of like what can happen in our lives, a fire comes, and, but they're essential for them to be healthy. Those fires come, they regenerate stronger after the fire. That's I always talk about post-traumatic growth. Um, and they actually need fires to come to produce seeds for more trees because without fires, their cones don't re re release, tree, uh, release seeds. And not only that, the fire clears up the clutter 
and all of these other trees and debris that grow alongside it and block the light and cause shade. So fire is needed to remove clutter and shady competition. So I'm not saying like liar, liar, pants on fire means allow liars in your life, but sometimes I need a fire to come and sometimes I need lies exposed because it clears the clutter. I know what I'm dealing with and I can get through to the light. And you, I mean, there's just a whole huge metaphor for that, that sometimes we need to not suppress fires that come. Well, okay. So here's, here's a thought for you, Annie. Um, uh, just another little bit of information and anybody who has visited any of the Sequoia National Parks. Um, I, I seriously did not know you had just done that. So that is I, total I, synchronicity <laughs> and coincidence because I had no idea. And I just, I kept, I usually keep most of my information a secret from you. So it's fresh. So that it's kind of blows my mind that you just did. Yep. Well, if you go to the park, you'll see there have been these fires, right? And the original tree, it's the weirdest thing, but there's this circle of trees, right? And uh, of these sequoia trees. And in the middle of those trees is the original sequoia tree that got damaged by fire. And the tree itself, the roots don't wanna let the tree die. So they'll shoot off more trees from the roots wow. and they will surround the original tree and I got to see it oh I'm gonna have to send you a picture and I think that maybe one day you and I will have to go to one of those parks together and we'll take a picture um, right in front of a couple of those trees sound good yeah maybe absolutely can, maybe we can post it on allies and recovery yeah because I, and you know, I've been um, surrounded many times in my life, but it's a new day and I've broke that pattern, that cycle. And I would much rather be surrounded by support like that. I yep. think you have to let the fires come and you have to let them burn away clutter and things that cause shade and block light. Sometimes the fires have to come. And I don't mean liar, liar, pants on fire, allow that. I just mean dealing with substance use in my life and having family conflict that drove me into therapy and yep. tons of research in the libraries about how to have a better life and find better ways. Those were some fires that were necessary. Suppressing those would, would not have benefited me. Sometimes we need fire to come so that we can get healthy. Totally agreed. Well, this Love has been that. great. Yeah, send me that picture. And until next time, we hope our listeners enjoyed this. If you have questions, please message us. Check out alliesandrecovery.net. Again, thank you to Dominique Simone Levine for producing and sponsoring us and just being wonderful support. Um, until next time. Until next time. Thanks, Annie. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online, or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. 
Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, dot net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey.